Hi, shalom everyone. Uh, I'm Kim, the Director of Operations at Mejdi Tours, uh, streaming from Tel Aviv, Israel. Together with me is one of our amazing co-founders, Aziza Bustera. Uh, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Crossing Boundaries, Global Connections and Conversations. Um, today we have a unique duo um, that we're going to interview, actually something pretty close to your heart of you. Um, so I'll give you the honors of introducing our guest. You are absolutely right. It is very close to my heart. I've been a member of the Bereaved Families Forum, the Parent Circle, for almost, what, 20 years uh, and uh, have, a, have a long history with the organization. For a few years, I served as the chairman of uh, the Parent Circle. And actually, while serving as the chairman, even before, I started meeting the two young men we are uh, having today on the live stream, uh, Yigal Hanan and uh, Arab Haramin. I've known these two guys, and I, I don't feel that old, but watching them makes me feel old because I know you both when you were literally kids. And watching you now do what you do is just amazing. It's encouraging. And watching the next, basically, generation of these, uh, these young kids playing around when we, when we had meetings. Um, Yigal, I don't know if you know this, but your father and I, well, actually, my first time to ever do a lecture or a talk on peace was with Ramil Hanan, who's your father. And he was my, uh, my teacher. And uh, I remember, I still remember doing, going, we were talking group of foreigners the first time, and then we went together to a school after that. And, and he was giving me the, the ins and outs of what you should and shouldn't, uh, and I owe him so much. And Arab, I don't know also if you know this, but I met your father before, uh, before the tragedy that came to your family, which you'll talk about. And we both were part of a film together. We were being followed by a filmmaker who was talking about how our peacemaking, and this is back in like mid-2000s, how our peacemaking is, is doing what and so on. And, and so we have a long, long history together. But you yourself are, are incredible. Both of you are activists. Both of you are doing a lot of work with the Parent Circle, with other organizations as well. Uh, and uh, today we're looking forward to... Um, to hearing from you, so yeah. Um, we called our episode today Lean on Me, and I'm assuming that you'll understand soon how uh, Igal and Arab are leaning on each other uh, many times. And uh, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves and tell us your story shortly. Um, Arab, maybe we'll start with you. Okay. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is uh, Arab Aramin. I am a Palestinian guy. I was born in East Jerusalem in 94, and I'm 26 years old. Uh, my story, it's happened in 2007, 16th of January. And uh, when I was 13 years old, in that time, an Israeli soldier shot and killed my sister Abir in front of her school. She was 10 years old, and she is the third one in the house. I am the oldest one. And Abir, she was for me the second mother. And uh, when I lost my second mother, I went to revenge for her blood. And my way was to throwing stones on the soldiers who was standing on the checkpoint, which is not that far from where I live. 
And after a while, my family, they knew that I'm throwing stones. So I was also lying to them that I'm going to school, but I wasn't going to the school. And when I went back home, I started to argue with my father. And I remember that night we had a big fight. And he was telling me that I don't have to let the anger and the hate to control my life. And it's not our way. So in the end, I understood one thing that I have to stop throwing stones because I will bring another pain to the the family, which is uh, what we had. It's more than enough. And in that night also, I promised my father that I will never throw stones again, but I will never stop revenging for my sister's blood. And after seven years of searching for peace inside of me, I got it and I understand that I can make my revenge but without violence. So it's, uh, it's took me seven years to understand that our color of blood, both sides, the same thing. And to keep killing each other, it's not the solution. So uh, also, I, I remember once I heard it from my father, if you want to kill yourself, keep hating your enemy. But if you want to win your enemy, learn about him more. So I wanted to win my enemy and I start to learn more about the other side. And the first thing was to learn Hebrew. And uh, after what happened to my family, two years after that, all the family, we went to UK. To, we was in the north of England, in Bradford. And my father did his master on Holocaust. So I start to learn about the Holocaust more and more from my father. And uh, one year after that, I went to visit the, one of the death camps in German, which is Buchenwald. And uh, I, after that things and after this small experience, I, I changed a lot of things inside of me, which is there is a human being the other side. Because when I was 13 years old, I haven't, I haven't uh, met an Israeli as a human being because all the Israelis that I have met, only the soldiers who are standing on the checkpoint or the soldiers who comes to my house at five o'clock in the morning, broken the door, taking my father from the bed. So there is no human being in my eyes in that time, which has changed completely right now because I know a lot of people on the other side and I have my brother, which is Eagle now, and his family. So everything changed when I, I wanted to know more about the other side. And Martin Luther King says, we hating each other because we don't know each other. And we don't know each other because we don't talk to each other. So we have to talk to each other. Then we decide after we know each other, we decide if we want to talk to each other or keep hating each other. But it's not the solution. And unfortunately here in this country, we have just two options, which is to die or to talk and to die here, unfortunately. But if you want to talk to your enemy or to the soldier or to the other side, that hard, first of all, because you don't know him. And the second thing, you have that fear from the other side. And for myself, when I start to talk to the other side and to know the other side more and more, I start to lose a lot of things, which is the fear and the hate that I had inside of me. And uh, Jalal al-Din Rumi says, Yesterday, I was smart that I tried to change all the world. But today, I became a waste that I start to change myself first. And which is more important, 
to got to that belief to make everything right and uh, i will i will finish with two things which is i believe in something deeply and uh, a lot of people told me you not just lost your sister but you also lost your mind about what i'm going to tell you right now i believe this land it's not for the israelis and it's not for the palestinians it's just gift from god for both of us and we have to learn how to share it together or in the end we're going to make it big graves for both of us and i will finish with this martin luther king says tomorrow we will not remember the words of our enemies but the silence of our friends so please friends don't keep silent and thank you all um thank you thank you arab and i just want to um tell everyone that you, you your video comes from a car because you you are one of those uh, workers who doing uh, who deemed an essential workers and you are at work right now and you just uh you just helping um you you taking a break in the middle of your work to do this and we very very grateful for that uh you got uh can you tell us your story sir my brother here said uh, only the silence of uh, your friends will be remembered i i cannot not tell uh, my story um i i would start uh, with the two options uh, arab said about living in our country which is either talking to each other or dying because for me like everybody um that are coming from a similar background as i am from ashkenazi west jerusalem a family palestinians were not so much the enemies as they just did not exist up to a certain point Uh, for me palestinians uh, until a certain age could have been uh, the people building the homes around my home could have been the people giving uh, my parents coffee at the coffee counters or filling our car uh, with gas uh, transparent people um that reality changed for me completely um on the 4th of september 1997 Uh, two days before my fifth birthday um approximately at 10 a.m. that day a five gymnasia ivrit high school um students five girls from the ninth grade left their schools and left their school and told their parents and their teachers are going off to buy textbooks for the beginning of the new school year probably uh, being 14 year old the planned on going and doing something a little bit more fun than that um but they did, they did not get the chance uh, because of, together with them two very desperate um very hopeless very vengeful as the statistics teach us a palestinian from a refugee camp uh, near the city of nablus left their homes with the detonation belts and grenades these two parties met uh, in ben yehuda promenade in the city center of jerusalem and in the suicide bombing uh, seven people uh, were killed the two palestinian bombers and five israeli civilians uh, yael botwin uh, was killed instantly 
דניאלה בירמן, still rehabilitating from a very severe brain injury, uh, 23 years later. סיוון זרקה, who was killed instantly, two uh, brothers from the same family, and my sister, סמדר אלחנן, that was killed instantly from a shrapnel of the bomb that hit her in the back of the head. Well, by that point, Palestinians were not faceless or enemies. They were the people that took my sister away from me, the people that made me uh, go through and uh, my family a traumatic experience that will change our lives forever. But coming from the home that I came from and having my mother and my father as my parents, this reality uh, did not change, did not uh, stay the same. And it changed quite rapidly in 1999. Uh, my parents joined the Perth Circle and since then, um, both of them are active in radical activity towards peace and justice and the end of the occupation. Because in our eyes and in my eyes, um, the killer of both of our sisters is not, you know, the specific Palestinian that decided to wake up that morning and come and take Uh, my sister's life without knowing her, without realizing who she is, what she is, and who the rest of them are. He did this because he didn't have any freedom. And didn't have any freedom because of the occupation that is ongoing for the past 50 or 70 years, depends who you ask. So uh, growing up with that, with that notion and through the second intifada in Jerusalem, um, I try to distance myself from the political activity of my family, not because um, I, do, I didn't understand why they're doing it, but because I couldn't understand how they can take our most intimate traumatic experience and share it with uh, complete strangers. No offense to those of us, uh, those strangers listening to me today. Um, But that changed for me when I reached the age of 14, the age that Smada was when she was killed, and I started asking myself many questions, uh, some better than others. But one of the good questions I asked myself was what happened before uh, the bombing that changed their life? What is the reason that it occurred? What is the events that happened before then? And... With my search, I came to a number that back at the time shook my world, and I hope the world of those who are listening, that between 1996 and 1999, which is the first time that Benjamin Netanyahu, our current prime minister, came to office, 220 people lost their lives between the Jordan River and the sea and in southern Lebanon. Well, up to that point, I felt that what happened to my family and what happened to Smadar is our intimate personal experience. It happened to Smadar and that's it. But realizing that 120 Palestinians lost their lives and 100 Israelis lost their lives during that time um, made me realize that this is not a God-given curse for Palestinians and Jews to live in, to live with between the Jordan River and the sea. It's the result of political actions and political uh, decisions made by men and women like ourselves. Um, the first thing that Benjamin Netanyahu did when he came to power, one of his first things in 96 was opening the Kotel tunnels, which are tunnels going underneath the Western Wall, underneath Al-Aqsa 
mosque, one of the most sensitive places in the world and the most sensitive place in Israel and Palestine. And um, as a result of that, there was a large wave of violence, um, which one of the bombings that happened during that time is ours. Uh, with that realization, I started to join the youth activities of the Parent Circle, and uh, I believe the rest is history. Um, thank you, Egal. I think uh, you both were talking about this step that you made from Israeli to Palestinian. I mean, starting a discussion, starting to know the other side. Uh, when was the first time that the two of you met? Uh, we met in 2015, I think. And the first thing that we did together was not drinking coffee like normal people, was going to uh, Belgium to speak at an event of uh, commemorating 100 years to the end of the First World War. And I think there was the first time that I understood you, you, could, you call this episode leaning, lean on me, it was the first time that I understood the extent that I can lean uh, on my brother Arab. Um, and we spoke together in that event, and uh, I think uh, that's it since then. You know, as an Israeli, I, I feel the urge to ask you, um, how, did you feel that your life was kind of split into two? I mean, you had your life as an Israeli child in school, and then you have this uh, family that is moving towards peacemaking. And every time that the ceremony comes up for the memorial, uh, like we had this week, I'm, I'm sure that you felt, you know, in school you felt one thing, but then you were also a part of this forum uh, that is very different to a lot of Israelis. Uh, completely. I think this is this complexity is one of the... Uh, leading um, aspects uh, of my life. It's what led me to, uh, and with this, you know, uh, we we cut our stories short uh, earlier, so maybe I'll add uh, this next detail. I had a very big dilemma when I was 19 whether to join the Israeli army or not. Um, on the one hand, by the age of 19, I already uh, met Palestinians. I already had the Palestinian family and friends uh, like Aziz and many others in the parent circle and the Aramin family. Um, but on the other hand, with realizing uh, the political situation, with being against the occupation, with being in a few demonstrations, with um, looking the reality in the eyes, I was part of the Israeli education system for 12 years. And I felt the urge to be part uh, of my society, to take the stretcher uh, on my shoulder as well as um, there's a very famous uh, Israeli saying. Um, but before I joined the army, um, we sat, I think Aziz, you were there too, uh, in Bejala uh, with my brothers, my father, and a few uh, Palestinian friends from the parent circle. And one of them who is very close to me to this day told me, Igal, I love you like a son, but once you're going to put on their uniform, I will stop speaking to you. Back at the time, that offended me deeply. I wanted to get up and tell him, how can you tell me this? You know the dilemma, you know what, we've, uh, what is at stake. Um, I had some tact uh, left back then, so I didn't say that. 
Um, but I understood what, I, what that dear friend told me um, close to the end of my service. I was a soldier at a school, which is a topic for a whole different uh, meeting, which, uh, but it's also important. I was a soldier at a school in Armona Natsiv neighborhood in uh, Jerusalem, uh, which is bordering two Palestinian uh, neighborhoods, Jabal Mukaber and Tzubahir. Uh, one of them is a refugee camp. And together, and I finished my day at, uh, working at the school. I had my uniforms on. I put on my headset. Um, I went on to the bus. I didn't really want to speak to anyone, but I didn't. Uh, but and I didn't get the chance because together with me um, came to the bus a 17-year-old Palestinian boy. Now we didn't speak to one another. I don't know his name. I don't know where he's from. But we didn't need to because the way that he looked at me was enough. He looked at me as the only way possible for Palestinians to look at Israelis in this region, um, he looked at me as his occupier, as his oppressor, as the probably the soldier that entered his home the night before or obtained his family at the checkpoint. And uh, I think this is the biggest, biggest tragedy because both sides, Israelis and Palestinians, taking upon themselves roles that are uh, almost pre-written and pre-organized by our societies. Um, and after that experience, I decided I will no longer uh, be looked upon as a symbol whatsoever, but if I must, it of course will not be a symbol of oppression. Thank you. Um, Arab, let's talk about the joint memorial service. You know, a few days ago was the Israeli memorial uh, day for Israelis who were killed in, in the conflicts uh, since I think the, whatever the, the beginning or before of, of Israel. Um, and about 10 years ago, Combatants for Peace and the Bereaved Families Forum came together to create a joint event uh, where the memorial is to remember both Israelis and Palestinians. I spoke at that memorial, I think, eight years, nine years ago. And I remember the dilemma I had and the questions I had to ask. So you spoke there four years ago and, or three years ago. And I wonder how, how did you feel about doing this joint event, being remembering Israeli and Palestinians who were, were killed at the same event? Is, did you have any dilemma? Um, and just for our listeners and people who are uh, watching, there are a lot of people who are against, even people who consider themselves in the peace camp who are against this event for various reasons from both sides. So I wonder how did you see it and how was the experience of you and Yigal standing together and speaking at that event? Uh, actually, it was uh, for me very important thing that I did in my life. And uh, I proved also to myself that I have to believe more about what I'm doing right now and i told myself if i can if i can search for a solution to live in peace with the, the other side which is with my friends with my family with the people in the other side so also i can remember the victims my victims and their victims together and uh, you know to a few days a few days ago was looking to that ceremony more than uh, 2000 2000 2100 people 
200,000 people, sorry. And uh, which is really a big hope and a big, big support from there. So for me, it was very great and uh, hopeful. And as I said in the beginning, something great that I did in my life. But, but Arab, uh, there are many Palestinians who would look at what you do, just like Igal said, his society might look at what he does and say, how could you? Why are you doing this? Uh, we programmed to think in this way. Our society, the Palestinian society, also sometimes can look at what you do, what I do, and say, you're crazy, this is wrong, you are helping the, the Israelis. How do you respond to them when they tell you that? I tell them right away, behind every Israeli, there is a human being. And behind every Palestinian, there is a human being. And now I, I look at them as a human beings like me. And I'm trying to tell them about myself, to tell them that I'm not, I'm not terrorist and I'm not killer. I'm just like you. And uh, of course, not all the people, they agree with me but not all the people, they are against what I'm doing. How does it feel to share your story with uh, so many people? I mean, I know that uh, you do educational work and you're speaking now in front of uh, an audience. How does it feel and, and do you feel that it's helpful for you, um, I guess, coping with the situation? Uh, I believe that there's a lot of people, they, they don't know us. Like, we don't know all the people. And uh, as I said in the beginning, we don't know each other. So when we start to, to, when I start to tell people about my, my story, my, my people, uh, I think it's, it's big hope also to let the other side to know you more. And it's how, how it's feel for me. Uh, it's, uh, it's not easy. And especially when I'm talking about my second mother. And I remember when I was 13 years old, I was very noisy, very crazy boy, slapping the kids in the, uh, in the school and going back to my second mother to tell her that I'm very strong and no one can beat me. And she was always telling me how to act good, how to be a good boy. But also, I know when I'm telling people about her, I'm saving a lot of abirs in my side and a lot of smadars on the other side. So it's, which is very important. Yigal, maybe you can tell us uh, a story from going to one of those classrooms. I, I remember doing these meetings and it starts very differently than the way it ends usually when you go to an Israeli classroom or a Palestinian classroom. Can, is there a story that's in your mind that you've gone through, that the two of you or one of you, and you can share with us? I, I have a recent one, um, but unfortunately, it's not a very hopeful one. But I will add a hopeful one after. Uh, we did a lecture to one of the most uh, famous um, schools, which also has a military boarding school in uh, Israel from Haifa. Um, and in the end of the lecture, something happened which is very, um, I think, which is an indicator of the un unpleasant and uh, quite difficult uh, processes that uh, the Israeli society 
uh, is going through. At the end of the lecture, I did uh, with uh, another one of our colleagues, Mohamed uh, Al-Bao, and uh, one of the kids uh, told him, um, listen, you talk here about peace and you talk here about justice and you talk here about all of these stuff, but since the year 640, when Muhammad the Prophet um, uh, sold out the Quraysh tribe in Saudi Arabia, there is violence from Muslims against Jews. Now, the story is the uh, part of the Holy Scriptures, and you know, it's um, the intensity of the division between us is getting so much stronger that people feel that they can go to the seventh century to bring arguments to justify the hate. But on the other hand, in the same lecture, speaking with uh, uh, a lower voice and being a little bit excited, a 16-year-old girl stepped up to us and told us with tears that she believes we changed her life. Now, in every lecture, you have that kid and you'll have that girl and vice versa, regardless of their, um, of their sexes. And I think this is why we do what we do. Because on the other hand, it makes those opinions that, uh, you know, don't get us anywhere, stand up and feel unashamed. And I'm proud of being able, you know, that the room of our lecture can have those opinions as well. Uh, but on the other hand, if one person can come at the end of the lecture and tell us something like that girl said, it's worth everything. Do, do you find yourself um, protecting one another from questions? Arab answers all the, all the hard questions. That's, uh... <laughs> Unfortunately, it's an easy question, so it's for you. I think yes, and we're supposed to. We have to. Because we are brothers. I, I want to maybe invite if people have questions, uh, whether on Facebook uh, Mejdi page or here to to send to us uh, right now. But maybe just before we get any questions, Arab, if you can, uh, I just realized we're talking about the parent circle and the bereaved families farm, but we didn't really explain what is the bereaved families farm. Who's this crazy bunch of people? Uh, it's a good question, but I think Eagle can answer that more, but I will answer a few things about the parent circle, which is I love and I like. And I think I'm a small part of this thing, which is the summer camp. Uh, the summer camp, we doing it every year. And a uh, few years ago, I was uh, all every year going to the summer camp and uh, this year, me and Eagle, we will be the co uh, director for co-director for the the summer camp, which is something great. Summer camp. Who comes to the summer camp? Uh, the kids uh, from the from the parent circle and the kids from out of uh, out of this organization, from age fourteen to eighteen, Israelis and Palestinian. Every year we bring 20 Israelis and 20 Palestinian kids for a few days. We bring them together to, of course, to learn more about each other and to know each other more and to play to each other, with each other, sorry. And uh, the thing that I every year I learn more about from the kids that we, we bring them together, that everything 
candy and there is nothing impossible. And when you look at the kids in the first day, everyone separate to his side. They don't, they're afraid from each other. They afraid to talk to each other because they don't know each other. And the last day, we were taking them from each other, like how you take the small child from his mother. They don't want to leave each other after when they meet each other and they know, knew each other more and more. So it's something great. Uh, one of the great things in the summer, in the, sorry, in the parent circle. Also, we have dialogue meetings and uh, my brother, Kumbli. Um, but you spoke all, all about the important stuff. Um, so members the organization has yeah, yeah, yeah. as well Yigal. we 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 were founded um, in 1995 by Itzhak um and Palestinian families from the Gaza Strip uh, during the uh, final uh, stages of the Oslo Accord um, the bereaved families uh, on both sides um, were very very vocal uh, during that time, and most of the time against the Oslo Accord. So the founders of our organization looked around them and they realized they needed to um, enlist the voices of the bereaved families uh, towards the processes of peace and uh, reconciliation, uh, regardless of the fact if the Oslo Accord worked, didn't work, did us good, did us bad. This is, again, a topic for a different talk. But since then, um, we are unfortunately, and I will explain why, why I'm saying unfortunately, uh, we are a, gr a very growing organization. We have about 620 families who are members in this organization, which, is, which are dividing about half and half, uh, Israelis and Palestinians. Um, our main activities are educational activities, such as the summer camp and the speaking in um, in classrooms and for students and uh, from groups uh, such as uh, the groups from uh, Mejdi Tours, etc. Um, and we have also another branch, uh, which I like to call a grown-up education. It's called the Narrative and Storytelling Project. Uh, we take 15 uh, Israelis and 15 Palestinians that have some kind of common ground. Uh, that could be profession or a situation in life, students, uh, lawyers, etc. And uh, we make them face the other's narrative. And we do that out of um, the re realization that even if uh, my narrative can contradict the narrative of the other, it doesn't mean that the narrative of the other doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that I don't have to respect it in order um, to live together. That means that we will go to um, the village of uh, Lifta in the outskirts of Jerusalem that uh, its uh, native inhabitants have been uh, deported in 1948, war of Israeli war of independence and Palestinian uh, Nakba catastrophe. Uh, we will hear the story over there and then we will go to the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum, not because these events are similar or because they are the same or because we're comparing the, between them, but because both of them are very, very um, are the most prominent uh, events in the national narrative on both, both sides. Now, after those projects, we see that the alumni are um, starting to become more and more active uh, towards peace, towards the end of the occupation, doing co-resistance uh, together, which is uh, an amazing thing. How do you, um, I mean, I'm sure that in these meetings, there are a lot of barriers that you need to break um, and someone here is asking, how do you 
enable the listeners to speak freely about stereotypes, about, you know, the background that they're coming with. And maybe I'll add to that, how do you encourage people to ask even offensive questions? Because we have so much misinformation. I think a lot of people feel, I, you know, especially after you share such a, such a very moving story that I don't want to offend you. So how do you encourage people to be really honest and get to it and say, you know what, I heard that Palestinians do this. I heard that Jews do this. How do you encourage people to say, don't worry, you're not going to offend us. Tell me what you really think. I think maybe Arab correct me if I'm wrong, but after being what we've been through, uh, you develop kind of a, an elephant skin and people can, uh, can sense that. Um, and I think the power of our organization and the power of the work that we do is that, that we are not um, professors for Middle Eastern history and we're not generals and we're not uh, politicians. Uh, we're people that certain stuff happened to us and that we take those stuff and we try to prevent it from happening to other people. And um, once you uh, speak on the same level, because the people that are listening to us can have the same, can have, God forbid, the same thing happening to them. Um, it encourages them to uh, share and to open up, um, which is, of course, is never a guarantee um, that uh, what we are doing uh, will work. But uh, um, seeing and hearing um, around us from many, many people that have been to the lectures that we used to speak to over 30,000 uh, children uh, every year uh, in the peak of those uh, talks. Um, you, you see people around, you see them coming up and, uh, and becoming more and more active. Absolutely. Arab, do you have anything to add before we wrap up soon? I want to say something. Uh, three years ago, I put myself in the golden jail. I got married, and uh, which is a beautiful jail. And I am a father for a kid. He's almost three months right now. And I hope that his day is going to be better, more than my days. And I wish for him and for myself. I wish for him not to lose a sister like how I did. And I don't want to lose a, a daughter like my father. And to be the life peaceful for both of us, for both sides. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll just mention that we're getting a lot of love here in the in the chat uh, towards the panelists. Um, so just wanted to let you know that the, the listeners are very appreciative of your work here and uh, and elsewhere. Um, and uh, I guess if there are no additional questions, then we'll start wrapping up. And I'll say thank you to our amazing guests. Um, continue this amazing work that you're doing. We, it's very touching uh, for us all. Thank you. What you do is exactly that. It's every week trying to get something a bit different, different topics, different ways of, I guess, traveling, intellectually traveling, figuring out what's happening in around the world, from Israel and Palestine to Colombia to Bosnia to India, and we're going to be doing more of these. Thank you, everyone, again for listening and join us again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.